There's a very rich section of Scripture, 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, when it comes to generosity, giving, stewardship as Christians. Paul gives us a theology of giving. There's an underlying theology here, which is what I really want to get at today. And then we'll come back to this in a couple of weeks, 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and look at some principles, some practical principles about giving. But today, I really want to focus on the theology that undergirds what Paul is saying, and it really comes down to one word, and that is grace. Grace giving. For the Christian, giving is not a matter of paying your dues, so to speak, but it is a reflection of the grace of God in your life and it's an act of grace. It's a, let me put it another way, a better way. A response to God's grace and a reflection of God's grace. Grace undergirds this appeal that Paul is making. In fact, it comes up five times, the word grace, not in the English translation, but in the Greek text. This word is just floating through this entire passage of Scripture. So he wants to highlight the importance of grace. That our giving is a response and a reflection of God's grace. Let me give you a little background on what Paul is raising money for. It's a relief fund, like I said, for poor Jewish Christians. We don't know exactly why they were impoverished. Most scholars believe that it's because of a famine. There was a famine that hit the, the Judea, the, the Jerusalem, and that area of the world in, I think, the mid-40s or so. And... Um, and so many scholars believe that they were impacted, the Christians in Jerusalem, by this famine, especially the, the poorest of the poor were hit very hard, very severely. And so Paul is uh, starting this relief fund, obviously as an act of charity, of benevolence for poor Christians. But there's another motive that Paul has. He's going around to Gentile churches and he wants them to bless the Jews. So part of the motive is unity. To demonstrate unity in the body of Christ. This was a great burden for the Apostle Paul. This rift that was developing between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he was working toward restoring the, the tensions, the cultural tensions that were happening. And he had an amazing, very organized plan here when it came to the relief effort. Uh, he was sending people ahead of him before he would go to these Gentile churches uh, he mentions Titus here in this passage. Did you see that? Titus was already starting this work, this collection in Corinth. And then so he would send somebody ahead to get the work going so that he didn't have to make the, you know, an aggressive appeal when he got there. They were already planning for this. And then he would arrive and he would take the collection. But here's the interesting thing. And he would go to Jerusalem, not just by himself, but with a delegation of people from those churches. That was his plan. So that, imagine this, you have Paul the Apostle and these other Gentile believers going to Jerusalem with this collection of money from the Gentile church and presenting it to the leaders of the Jewish community, of, uh, of the, the, the pillars of the Jerusalem church. People like James, the brother of Jesus, had a, a leadership role in Jerusalem. And that was what Paul wanted to do as a sign of, okay, we are going to bless you. You have blessed us with your heritage, and now the Gentiles are going to bless you. 
And you can understand how that would uh, develop affection and unity. I mean, imagine if a delegation came here one Sunday. Twelve or so people showed up from other Anglican churches and they came through those red doors and they laid on the altar an offering. They said, we heard about your building fund drive and we want to be part of this. And we would feel great unity and affection and, and we would sense that we're part of something bigger in the Anglican church. Well, that was Paul's idea with this relief fund. And so he wants the Corinthians to get involved in this. Corinth was a wealthy city. It was a port city. There was a lot of trade. There was a lot of money. There were these temples that were built, extravagant temples. And so he wants the Corinthians to get involved, too. And he starts by giving them an example of extraordinary generosity. Sacrificial giving. When the grace of giving is flowing in a community, there's sacrificial giving. That's one of the evidences of this grace of giving. It's sacrificial giving. And that's what had happened in the churches of Macedonia. So you look there in verse one. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. That has been given among the churches of Macedonia. These were churches located in now present day Greece, in northern Greece. They were communities like Philippi. We have a letter to the Philippians or Thessalonica. Uh, some scholars believe that uh, Berea was also part of this territory. So you had the Philippian church, Thessalonica, maybe Berea. And there's uh, something happening, a miracle of grace, a work of grace among these Macedonian Christians. He says in verse two that even though they went through or they are going through a severe test of affliction and extreme poverty, they had this joy and this generosity that overflowed. We don't know why they were going through a severe test of affliction. Some people believe that they were suffering persecution for Jesus's sake. But they are in a very difficult situation. A time of suffering and they were at the bottom of the ladder when it came to economic standing. He doesn't just say they were poor. He says that they were suffering from extreme poverty. And yet they gave, verse 3 tells us, not just according to their means, but beyond their means and of their own accord. This was not a situation where Paul is pressuring these poor people to give. But they are begging, verse 4 tells us. He's not the one doing the begging. They are begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Or that could be translated in the ministry to the saints. They saw an opportunity to be part of something bigger. They saw an opportunity, even though they had very little, to contribute to what God was doing through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And again, this is not the Apostle Paul taking advantage of poor people. We see this sometimes, unfortunately, when ministers or so-called ministers will take advantage of the poor and the most vulnerable and they'll make these appeals for people to give to their ministry and they will promise these blessings, these material blessings of uh, more money if you give into my ministry or you're going to get the healing that you've been praying for. That's not what's going on here. The people themselves are asking Paul to participate in this. 
And I think part of what's going on here is is there's a certain dignity, no matter how much you have, no matter how little you can offer. There's a certain dignity that comes with being able to participate in something great. Um, I love this quote by the French uh, writer, philosopher Pascal about prayer. He says, prayer is God's way of giving his creatures, that is us, the dignity of being a cause. God uses our prayers for his work in the world. And by our praying, we have the dignity as his creatures of being part of what God is doing. The dignity of being a cause. And that goes for all the ways that we participate in the work of God. Our praying, our generosity, offering up our talents, our abilities, our gifts. We have the dignity of being a cause. These people are dignified. They're asking for the privilege of being part of what God is doing through Paul. It says that they begged. They begged for the favor. And they gave not just according to their means, but beyond their means. Sacrificial giving. And I, as I was thinking about what that might have looked like, just try to imagine a family in Macedonia, extreme poverty, severe affliction. We don't know exactly what they're going through, but we know what that looks like. I mean, we can see that on the news. We know stories of people who've gone through very difficult times. Some of us have been there where we just don't have a whole lot to give. And just imagine a family gathering around. Mom and dad are there and they tell their children, you know, we don't have a whole lot. But there's brothers and sisters in Jerusalem that have less than what we do. And we want to be part of this. We've heard about this, this fundraising effort and, and we want to join in on this. So we're going to have to sacrifice to be part of this. Now, what did that mean for families in Macedonia? Did that mean we're going to skip a meal once a week and we're going to use the money and save that up so when the collection comes we can, we can give that? I don't know what it meant. But it was something that blew Paul away. They gave beyond their means. They gave sacrificially. Almost had this sense that he was not going to sell this thing really hard, if I can use that language. He wasn't going to press them really hard. But they pressed him to be part of this. Why, why did that happen? What was going on in their hearts and in their spirits? Well, it, it says that um, in verse 5, they gave not as we expected, but they gave themselves, and here's the key, first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There is a sense in the Macedonian church of a, of a commitment to Christ, maybe a renewed commitment to Christ, but the sense that I'm going to give my life to Christ, and then whatever he asks me, I'm going to do. And it's a natural thing when you give your life to Christ and you surrender to him that you want to give to others as well. You want him to use you to give to others. And that's what was happening in Macedonia. That was the grace of giving that was flowing through. It reminds me of a story of a young man named, well, his last name is Torgensen. He was a uh, Norwegian missionary to China. And the story of his uh, call to missions goes something like this, that he was at a convention and back in those days they would have these mission rallies. And they would bring young people together and talk about the opportunities and the challenge of the mission field. 
And Torgensen was there, and he heard the call to missions, and he wanted to give to the effort. And so he emptied out his wallet in the offering plate. He didn't have much, but he gave everything that he had. And then the reason why this is a story is he wrote on a scrap of paper, and my life. And my life. I'm going to give all of me to the work of the Lord. And he had apparently a fruitful ministry in China. Now, uh, there's a word of caution here. I, I, I think Paul was sort of taken aback at what had happened. It was not his plan to press them to give sacrificially. And um, he wasn't using guilt or coercion. And, and in, in fact, he goes on and he says in, in chapter 8 that he doesn't want people to give in a way that would burden them. So this is not sort of a normal thing that happens, but it is one of these extraordinary things that can happen when God touches people's hearts and they give sacrificially and they trust God to provide. And that's, that's what was happening in Macedonia, where the grace of giving is present. You do see sacrificial giving. And when the grace of, of God is present to give, you, you see in a community that Giving becomes a value. It becomes a virtue. It's something that's pursued and something that's prized and something that's lifted up. And, and that's what Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to do in verse 7. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, that could be translated in your love for us. I think that makes more sense, but nevertheless, See that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, see what he's saying? You, as a, as a community, as a church, you're um, pursuing excellent things. You know, the Greco-Roman culture, which was part of uh, the world that, first, uh, that the Corinthians were in, they prized excellent. Greek, Greek culture prizes the pursuit of the excellent. And um, important things were like, knowledge and rhetoric and the ability to speak and to be articulate and to convince people. And that was kind of how you made your way in the world. So there was this commitment to excellence in the secular culture or excellence in the secular culture. But then as they became Christians, they were committed to virtues like love and faith and and perseverance or earnestness. So Paul says, I, I can see your pursuit of these good virtues, and that's wonderful. God is doing this work in your life, but I want you to add to the list grace of giving, the act of giving, be excellent when it comes to generosity, pursue that. And the point is that don't make this just an afterthought, don't put this on the periphery, but put it central on your agenda of what it means to be a growing Christian. To be excellent in the act of grace also. People who get giving desire to excel in giving. And, you know, it's a privilege to see that happening in our church. Our church exists only because there are people who excel in the grace of giving. We would not be here without that. There are people who give enormous amounts of time and their talent and, yes, their treasure, their material resources for us to even exist. And it's humbling and challenging and encouraging to see that week after week and month after month. People are excelling in the grace of giving here. I mean, just think about 
mentioned earlier the capital campaign. I'm astounded at where we're already at. We're at $750,000 in pledges in such a small, well, relatively small congregation. Really, we're an average-sized congregation. But when you talk to the experts, which we did about fundraising, they said, you guys have done more than what we could do. Don't even hire us. Don't worry about hiring us because you guys have achieved something remarkable. That's because there's people here who excel in the grace of giving, whether they're giving a, a little bit or a lot. There are people who are committed to that, and it's all part of it. There are people in our congregation who have given cars away to support others in this church. There are people who regularly give to missions and people who support missions trips from this place, from this congregation. Mike McClyman is in Nigeria now, and one of the reasons why he's in Nigeria is because people in this congregation help to fund that trip. He is ministering to the persecuted church, and he's being ministered to, and he's going to come back and be able to share stories and testimonies about what God is doing and did through him. And we were part of that as we gave and as we supported him with our prayers. There are people every week who donate to the food pantry or volunteer time to the food pantry. So we have a community that is filled with people who this is on their agenda. They are people who want to excel. They practice excelling in the grace of giving in generosity. I've been reading about others who who do that, who excel in the grace of giving. I read about a couple named April and Graham Smith. They live in New York City. They're in the banking world at a very high level. They're Christians, and when they got married, they decided that we're going to use our resources as much as we can for the furtherance of God's work in his kingdom. And so when they got these jobs, he's a banker in the private banking industry. She's an investment banker. When they got these really nice jobs, they decided they made a deliberate decision. We're not going to live in the poshest part of New York. We're going to take a couple of steps back and go down a couple of rungs on the ladder so that we're not, as they called it, given the golden handcuffs and we have to make a certain amount of money to sustain a certain level of living. And they said in this, um, actually it was a video that I watched, she said, our belief is that an increase in income doesn't change the way you live, but the way you give. It doesn't have to change the way you live, but the way you give. And that their daily prayer together as a couple is, God, show us how to give our life away. What a radical thing in our culture today. Not everybody, obviously, is able to do this. They reverse tithe. They tithe 90% of their income and keep 10%. So they're at the very top when it comes to the income stream. And not everybody, obviously, is able to do what they're doing. But what could be accomplished in God's kingdom if more of us thought that way? It's not so much about how I can live, but what I can give. It's a radical approach. It's so counter to what the world says. You know what the world teaches us is consume. The world says consume. God's grace says give. The world says prove. Your net worth. Prove your uh, worth, rather, by your net worth. Prove your worth 
by how much money you have or the kind of car you drive or the house you live in. Prove it. Prove your worth. Grace says it's proven. It's already been proven 2,000 years ago at the cross. God demonstrated his love for you, your worth in this, that he gave Christ Jesus for you as a sacrifice. And that's really where Paul is leading this theme of grace, this theme of giving. It crescendos into verse 9. And unfortunately, we didn't print that out. Sorry about that, but let me just read you. This is the kind of the kicker here. This is the main point. This is where everything's been leading. Verse 9, he says this to the Corinthians. Again, asking for them to be part of this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, who was rich, the eternal Son of God, in the glory of God, in the majesty of God from eternity, basking in that glory and love and goodness, emptied himself, took on the form of man and became a servant for our sake even to the point of dying on the cross. He became poor for us so that we in our poverty might become rich towards God in our spiritual poverty. So Christian giving is not a matter of paying the dues so much as it is a joyous response to God's grace and a reflection of His grace in our life. Amen. Let's take a moment just to reflect and to pray. Maybe some people here um, would like to do more, but they're not able to do more. And there might be some guilt around that. And uh, if that's you today, I want to say this is not about making you feel guilty again. Look to the cross of Christ. That is what speaks of your worth. And um, God wants us to give whatever we're able to, whether it is money or time or talent. And so this is not about coercion or guilt. But maybe there, there's somebody here who God is speaking to you about growing in this grace of giving, about being more intentional about generosity it's sort of on the periphery. It's sort of in the margins of your life. But maybe you're at a, a place in your life where you can be more intentional. Maybe there are some people here. God might be nudging you to sacrificial giving. Maybe there's a particular ministry on your heart or something that God is stirring up in you. And, and he might be calling you to sacrificial giving. Let's just take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to us. Maybe it's a word of encouragement for what you're already doing. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have revealed to us in Jesus Christ. There is no greater example of a gracious gift than the cross of Christ and I pray that that would capture in a fresh way all of our hearts and minds so that we could live generously as a testimony and witness of that grace. 
and we would reflect his generous heart to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.